Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. Problems? Could anything go wrong when the church and the government become partners? Is there a possibility that there could be unintended consequences? And that's what we didn't see. We didn't understand that. And I was a participant. I spent three school years doing maintenance at such a school. Let me be really clear. There's a lot of difference between the quality of the different schools that were run all over the place. And I have to tell you that I never observed abuse. I never observed kids being hungry. I never observed um, real, I mean, serious mistreatment. But I did observe a lot of things that are very, very sad and regretful. The story is too long to tell. But as I've told you before, it made me want a very different relationship, such as with these people that I pictured last night. And I, I used that picture for several reasons, and I don't think I'm gonna tell another story. I'm not gonna go further with that right now. But all of this, the most recent developments in Canada are that they're discovering graves through the use of, of radar and I think sonar as well. They're discovering unmarked graves at many residential schools that were across Canada. And the first discovery like that was in May, I think, April, May. And they first discovered 215 unmarked graves at a at one of these residential schools. Well, the, 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 the lid blew off the can again, all over Canada and in parts of the United States. And so these issues are again, very, very raw topics in Canada and are very high on the list of, of things that stir up emotion and, and feelings between people groups. Now, try to, try to imagine my dilemma here, because here I am, committed for life, or at least until God gives me different direction, committed to serving and relating to a people group and they discover that I'm one of those that served at a residential school. That's about the worst thing that you could say about yourself right now. And so all this has made, all this has made a huge difference in, in what the gospel means to me, what the mission that God is on might look like in my world. And I just 
ask you once again, how does that transfer into your world? How does that transfer into the history and relationships of things that you know, of people that, whose stories are very different than your own, of people whose stories you have a hard time believing or understanding? How does that work? As it happens with these schools, as I said, the, the school I was at, a lot of good happened. People became followers of Jesus at, those, at that school. People learned, people talked to me about all they learned about the scriptures at that school. I have one close friend who constantly talks about how he values what he learned about the scriptures at that school. And so we say, what about, yeah, what about all the good that happened in residential school? What about all the people that came to know Jesus because of the church's involvement? And it makes some of us who were there feel very conflicted until we work at it a little bit. And some of us don't work at it. I happen to work at it because I have to. I have to do something with that. I have so many friends, so many relationships. Am I just going to let those all (laughs) fall by the wayside while I say, okay, I'm one of those, no way of reconciling. We just tell the truth and there's no reconciliation possible. I don't believe that. Because the mission of God is reconciliation, and the possibility for we, his followers, is reconciliation, and I'm determined. So I work at it. Even though there are things that, that have been good, to me, it's a little bit like saying, as an American, you know, actually, the Atlantic slave trade had a lot of benefits. Think about how many thousands and thousands of people learned to know Jesus because they were brought to the United States as slaves. Think about the advantage of living in the United States compared to where they were. There were good things that happened from the Atlantic slave trade. To me, that, maybe you think that's a stretch. I think it's a, it's a fair way to think about it. And now I say, in both cases, even though there were good things that happened, it shouldn't have happened. The Indian residential school shouldn't have happened because there are better ways of educating people. There are better ways of doing things than to form an alliance with the government for the church to be in, in, in bed with the government on a project that we don't understand doing things that we didn't know they had in mind, had no idea they had in mind to, 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 to complete a genocide. We didn't know that. So I, I repent for that. And I have publicly repented for that. And I continue to do that. And 
Some people don't understand that. Some people assume that I'm woke, that I'm part of a movement, wokeness, and or that I've bought into critical race theory or whatever else is evil or out of bounds. Let me tell you that I'm determined that our questions and responses to issues like this, they must be guided by the things Jesus said, not by our fear of some movement or even if it's extreme. Extreme responses do not negate the things that Jesus said and taught us and asks of us. We're at a place in time where, in Canada at least, the church is seen as the second most harmful institution in Canada's history, the government being the first. The church is second. The church is second most harmful. And people are burning churches since this discovery of unmarked graves. There are churches being burned on reserves and even other places because the church is considered the second most harmful institution in our history. Do we care about that? And in your situation in the United States, do you care about the reputation, about the general perception that people have of Christians? Is it fair, for example, that Christians are generally viewed as angry, as combative, as dominant and unfeeling? Does that matter? Or do we just say, well, you have to get over it? Is it fair criticism that outsiders view Christians as generally unconcerned about minority groups? about the unjust portions of history or about disparity in basic living standards. You know, in some of the communities you come from, some of the churches you come from, and maybe even in some of your minds, I'm a liberal even for bringing this up. We don't seem to care whether Jesus' message should guide us, should shape us, should form us in how we respond to people. We are first and foremost afraid to say some things because we'll be labeled as woke or liberal, or in some cases as conservative. We're not shy about saying that we need to follow Jesus' last words, his last message. What was it? It's all over the place. And I hear, I hear people at missions conferences saying, or at any other time, I'm sorry, it's not, there's nothing wrong with saying that go ye into all the world was Jesus, maybe his most important message. But you know what? You can't, you can't isolate that from the gospel, as the gospel, because Jesus' first message sets the stage. Jesus' first message is the, if we're going to talk about his teachings and his messages, his first message starts things off. 
I'm going to read it for you. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit in Gal- uh, of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report went out from, about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. And I think what he means is, today, this is activated. This is like like one of those uh, epoxies that's been sitting around, and today we put the activator in. Today we mix it, and it's going to start to act. The heat is going to come off, and, and this becomes activated. That's what I think he's saying. Now, our typical way of reading his first message is to turn every one of those words into metaphors, to say that poor, captive, oppressed, that's talking about people's hearts, that's talking about people's minds, that's talking about people's souls. Well, you look at the life of Jesus, and you see that he acted outside of that little metaphor idea, And no, he wasn't politically active, and I'm not talking about what political activism looks like or whether it belongs in your portfolio, but I'll tell you what belongs in your understanding of mission and the gospel is a way of looking at the past with honesty, with humility, and with the ability to hear a different version of history, a different version of the story, and to say, I'll try to hear that. I'll try to understand that. I'll try to have the mind of Jesus and to know that my version of history is biased as well as yours. What Rita and I went to last Thursday was the blanket ceremony. I don't know if you'll ever come across that, but it's a a widely... um, it, it's, it's a widely used method of visualizing how land use was, was appropriated and in Canada and how uh, with one piece of legislation after another, the people who had once been free to be anywhere in all of Canada and not perfectly, but satisfactorily live and exist where they were, are now relegated to a piece of land if you added them all together. And this was illustrated in the province of BC, British Columbia, so I don't expect you to be able to picture it in your mind. I I didn't get a visual for it because I wasn't going to tell you about it, but it's a very small piece of one province in the whole of, of Canada. 
And to give you an idea how big Canada is, the province that I live in is three times the size of Texas. Just one province. We have lots of space. We have all kinds of space. But somehow people needed to be restricted and put under laws that kept them from even leaving their reserves. I've got to keep going here. So the way we believe in truth and reconciliation, we say, and we tell the truth like this. You should appreciate all we've done for you instead of blaming us for things we didn't mean to do. That's one piece of truth we say. And, and I don't know if you ever say things like this in the U.S., but we do in Canada. My brothers and sisters in the church say this kind of stuff all the time. A second thing that we say, you need to forgive. The fact that you haven't forgiven us is the reason you're so miserable. That's a common theme. Forgiveness is so important for those who feel offended by me. And then here's an Anabaptist favorite. We were mistreated also. We got over it. We've been successful in spite of it. That's an Anabaptist favorite. And then we also say, look at you. Even some of you have succeeded in spite of it. Others of you are just playing the victim. That's a different way of playing the victim card. We hand it to people, or we label it with, or we stick it on them, and don't try to understand. You know, there are stories in the Bible. I told you the other day that sometimes people read the same stories you read and see something totally different. I can tell you something about the story of the rich man and Lazarus that you may never have thought about and that you may never have heard a sermon about. Maybe I said a little bit of this, but I'm already here. I don't remember, but I'm going to do it again. When my friends read the story of the rich man and Lazarus, guess what the message is? And when some of your friends read the story of rich man and, the rich man and Lazarus, they're not going to go home and meditate on the realities or the literal sufferings of hell, what they're going to hear is, look what happens to people that oppress the poor. There's hope for the poor. That's what people take, that's what poor people tend to take from that story. Do you remember it? The rich man had it all. Right in, at his gate was a poor man and he paid no attention. And Abraham tells both of them the reason why the rich man is in hell and the poor man is in Abraham's arms. You don't get to decide why that is because Jesus already put the words in Abraham's mouth. You don't get to say, well, the rich man never prayed the sinner's prayer and Lazarus did. You don't get to say that because Jesus already put the explanation in Abraham's mouth. And Abraham explained why they were there. Go read it. He said, one of you suffered in real life and now you're in torment. 
the other view suffered the other view had it so nice in real life and now you are in in torment did i i said that wrong do you know what i mean the same story the same lesson is in the story of the sheep and the goats the very same story and in both these stories and this is what ought to scare us or ought to at least make us very concerned the both the teaching of the rich man and the teaching of the sheep and the goats jesus simply says that the rich and the privileged can expect the most severe judgment if they ignore suffering and oppression that is right before their eyes that's the message of those two teachings and i've lived 70 years and been to church since conception and i've never heard a message to that effect except my own maybe you have i'm sure it gets taught here at rosedale but i've never heard it I've never heard anyone do anything with the story of the rich man and Lazarus except emphasize the reality of hell. And I've never heard anyone pay attention to the words of Abraham. And why did Jesus put those words in Abraham's mouth? I've never heard anybody explain that. But I tell you, I encourage you to take that seriously. we can respond with empathy with compassion and god help us just recently some christians published a video on youtube explaining why empathy is a sin we can have all kinds of certainties but the the real truth and reconciliation comes when we participate in the cross of Christ when we participate and identify with the cross of Christ as our mission as the foundation of our mission we will stop caring whether people associate us with wokeness we will stop caring whether people claim that we're in the bondage of critical race theory or whatever else we will do this defined on the basis of the cross of Christ and that we care about oppression and history and sin by because we're participating in the cross of Christ and we crucify our defenses of that history we take ownership of our collective sins and when people say how far back do we go to repent of sins i have an answer for you to try on people how far back do you go to celebrate our collective advantages every 4th of july and every can every 1st of july in canada we're not shy about getting together and celebrating all the land that we've gained and all the freedoms we have for the last 250 years but when it comes to how where are we going to work at things where what are we going to repent of and what are we going to try to set right 
we say, oh, that would be way too long. We can't go back that far. I just suggest to you, if you can go back and celebrate it, you can go back and work at fixing it. I'm going to take 30 seconds and tell you something that just, it's so amazing what happened last night at about 10 o'clock. I actually, this is a rerun of a message I did last Sunday morning in our church because of the holiday, the truth and reconciliation. And the message has gotten a lot of views from a lot of different people and some shares. And it's almost, almost like what I just did for you. And last night, about 10 o'clock, I got a I got a text message from a guy from the chief of the largest reserve in all of northwestern Ontario. And this is a guy who actually was a student at the school that I was at and has had anger about it that he's expressed to me, not toward me personally. He wasn't there during the time I was at the school. But last night he messaged me and said, a friend of mine shared your message from Sunday morning. And what is so, what makes me cry is that he would have reasons to put me in that group of hated people because I was part of that. He told me just last night, that's powerful. It, affect, it touches people when we take a repentant attitude toward our past. Let that be a lesson to you. It doesn't fix everything, but it touches people when we take a repentant attitude. And I've gone over time, and I'm going to quit. Thank you very much. It's been good to be with Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.